You're listening to audio from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. If you'd like to learn more about Parkview, find more resources, or give to our ministry, please visit parkviewchurch.org. What a wonderful time of worship together. I've discovered of late that with preaching three times on a Sunday, I can't sing as much with you as I want to, but it's wonderful to sit up in the front. For you guys that love the back, I'm telling you, you're missing out. When you sit in front, you can hear everybody else sing, so I enjoy that. Uh, So I'm sure it'll be crowded in front next week, so get here early, uh, because I'm sure it'll change your habits tremendously. Part of our worship is is in giving back to God of our resources and of our energy and of our time and our money as well. And one of the things we remind you to do is to give back to God what he's given to you and and do it in, in a spirit of gratitude and joy. As you uh, come to the end of the year, we encourage you to remember uh, Parkview and our regular giving as well. And, and maybe you say, okay, what, is that, what, are those, what does that really turn into? Uh, over this past year, we've seen 22 new members. We've seen 11 baptized. Through Bless Every Home, we're praying for 3,000 homes in our area. On a Sunday morning, do you realize you may not you may not be aware it takes 296 volunteers to make Sunday morning happen? It's hard to believe. A lot of things going on. Uh, we have 40 to 50 middle school and high school students that are engaged in weekly activities. We had 10 students give their lives to Christ this year. We had 200 attendees at our big Christmas party a week ago, and 25% of those were people who had never been in our church before. We have volunteers serving so faithfully to make things like Awana happen and working hard to make sure we maintain biblical live preaching across our campuses. We have 200 plus people involved in our community groups. We did a life and death matter seminar. 130 kids attended VBS and less than half of those kids were regular Parkview attenders. We've had three students accept Christ during the school year through our SPOT program over at East Campus. We have students serving students now over there and and discipling them. We're so grateful for the spirit of joy within our gatherings. We have more people wanting to be baptized and become members. We have parent workshops. We had our global worker outreaches. Do you realize we have 33 global workers in the United States as well as 13 in different countries? We're just so blessed. God is moving so mightily. Our women's ministries, activities, the list just goes on. So many things that we can be thankful for for what God is doing. I had a friend of mine some years ago announced to me that he was leaving a church that he was at. And, and I asked him why. And he, says, he said to me, he said, you know, Mark, the Spirit of God has just left that congregation. It was a heartbreaking thing to hear. But let me tell you. It is a joy for me to be able to say the Spirit of God is active in our midst at Parkview. Praise God. Praise God for what he's doing. Thank you for your faithfulness. I hope you are encouraged at what God is doing. That's just a a tiny list of what's happening. We're in a unique series right now. Normally, we work our way through a book of the Bible, so it's a little different feel these messages do, uh, but they're building upon one another, and today our primary text is going to be in Hebrews 2. But since they build on each other, I want to do a little review and help us re- remember that, uh, that God takes on flesh. Uh, 
And, and it has a purpose, right? Why, why did he do it? The Son of Man took, our Son of God took on flesh to reveal God to us so that we could know the truth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, Jesus was and is God. And, and it adds to the meaning of the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Son took on flesh and became man. This is a fact that's central to us understanding Scripture and having a proper uh, realization of what's happening. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, Jesus, took, took on flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. The Son became man to reveal God to us so we could know the truth. God designs this incredible plan that is so far from what we would have come up with, that, that, that God comes and, and is born through a virgin in humility, in low uh, socioeconomic status. And this is not how the people of that day would have envisioned this happening. Yet God does it to reveal his character and, and understanding that God had every reason to come with destruction because of his condemnation of sin that's expressed in, in sending his son, not just sending his son, but sending his son to die in our place, showing his willingness to be merciful, to bestow grace upon us, to offer forgiveness And to show that he hurts with those who hurt, that he cares for the marginalized, that he watches out for the widows and the orphans, and ultimately to show his majesty and glory. The Son took on flesh to reveal God to us so we could know the truth, addressing our greatest need, most importantly, to show us the way to him, which is our greatest need. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he does it that we might dwell with him, that theme we see throughout Scripture, God wanting to dwell with his people. Today we will see that the Son became man to experience and model life for us. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you, and we ask that you would just use it, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak through me, and that, that we would have so, a greater understanding and a greater appreciation and deeper gratitude for your Son taking on flesh. Father, would you work in our midst, and Father, would you work in our community, in our land, in our world, that, that people would understand that they would come out of darkness into light that they would be able to celebrate the truth of Christmas like we can. We pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Incarnation, God in flesh, living among mankind as a man. So important to us. But, but some want nothing to do with this. And again, this is that spiritual blindness reference in 1 Corinthians. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. As a result of, of that blindness, some work hard to present other ideas to dispute what Scripture teaches as true. 
There's schools of thought. There's, there's pantheistic thinking that the uh, substance of God and the substance of the universe are basically the same. Or our Unitarian belief, the belief that God exists in one person, not three. Or Universalism, belief that ultimately all will be saved. Or no absolute truth, a belief that you, that you can just believe whatever you want and you can't be wrong and it's all going to work out in the end. Or secular humanistic thinking, humans are the ultimate standard by which to judge all things. There's nothing higher than human beings. However, we're told the truth from Scripture. And even as we highlighted from Philippians 2 last week, the Bible teaches that God took on flesh, humbling himself, reducing himself to our level. And why did he do that? That's really what this series is about. Uh, Tim Keller wrote these words. There is no way to have a real relationship without becoming vulnerable to hurt. Christmas tells us that God became breakable and fragile. God became someone we could hurt. Why would he do that? To get us back. Do you realize that no other religion, whether secularism or Greco-Rogan paganism, Eastern religion, Judaism or Islam, believes that God became breakable or suffered or had a body? Christian faith stands out in this. God became someone we could hurt. Now you may want to push back on the first hearing of that, and, and I'd ask you to consider that Advent reading that Devin just read for us. Marred appearance, despised, rejected, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and so on, right? We listed some of what Jesus went through for us last week. The the mockery he experienced for us. Being struck violently, having a crown of thorns pushed down upon his head. Being flogged brutally. Nailed to a cross. A spear thrust in his side and going to death on our behalf. But remember, God allowed it. Remember from the garden in Jesus' arrest, remember uh, that one of, one of Jesus' followers goes and, and, and strikes uh, the, the soldier with a, with a sword and it takes off his ear. And Jesus tells him, listen, put away your sword, and he heals the man. Uh, Then he says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and and he won't send more than 12 legions of angels? What does that tell us? This was not out of control. Jesus takes on flesh, becomes someone who we could hurt, and this was willful and volitional. And I want to suggest to you that that adds to the beauty of Christmas. That this would be part of God's design. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. 
In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The Son became man to experience and model life for us. Look again in that 10th verse. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Perfect through, through suffering. Experiencing human life. Uh, the idea of perfect here is, is complete or whole, without blemish. Now I want to take you a little on a mental detour here for a minute. Could, could God have done this without suffering? We love some of those can God do things challenge, God can do anything, but wait a minute, what could he do this? Can he make a rock bigger than he can lift, right? Some of those questions. And no, he couldn't. And there, there are theological reasons here. God is just. There, there had to be wrath and, and, and punishment. Remember last week we were talking about God's standards being here, uh, but, but man performing right, right here. So, so what are we going to do about that? You see, you can't commingle sin with purity, with righteousness. And how important is that? In the process of both purchasing and selling our home in, in Illinois, because it had a well, there had to be a test of the water. And they're testing for contaminants, for bacteria, for nitrate, lead. They're looking at the water quality, the hardness, alkalinity, chloride levels, looking for chloroform bacteria. Those water tests gave a parts per million of fecal matter. How important is the purity of the water we drink? There's a reason why we don't go to a toilet and just fill our water bottles up in there, right? Well, we just flushed it. It's all right. The purity matters. But I want you to think about the fact that that God can't commingle our sinfulness with his holiness. I hope you're thankful that he can't or won't. I'm thankful that, that we can't drag our sinfulness and our impurity into heaven. Because consider that alternative. Heaven will be great except for the, the lies. And heaven will be great, but lock your door. There's a theft problem there. 
it'd be good to be, uh, you know, strong or able to defend yourself because the, the bullying will be a factor. And heaven will be great except for the child abuse and sexual assaults. Oh, and, and heaven will be great except for the, 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 the racism and, and the hatred. The insults. And, and watch your back. Heaven will be great, but there is murder there. You can't commingle sin with the holiness of God. And so when we look at Scripture all the way through, you know, you, you see God, God's law and his standards... And then we have those Old Testament stories again and again of them failing the standard, not meeting the standard, and, and how complicated that gets. And then you have to have the sacrificial system. Why? Because all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God, gift of God, is eternal life. God takes on flesh in order to be that gift. Remember Ephesians 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the good work we do then is by God's design and we're to do them for that reason, because that's what he designs, that's his, his desire. And we do it because we love God, but they're not salvific. It was a gift. The gift of righteousness from Christ. It's having his righteousness. Uh, Dr. Newt Larson, a mentor of mine, was speaking to a room full of pastors. And he instigated an argument in saying that the only way for God to experience human life was to be human. It made for a lively debate because people wanted to go down the road of saying, okay, God is omniscient. He, he knows everything. So certainly he would know what it's like to be a human. He'd know what suffering was like because he knows all things. Uh, but the, there's a difference between uh, being all-knowing and experiencing all. There wasn't a whole lot of value in debating, but, but the simple fact is God did choose to experience to t taking on flesh and knowing what it was like for us, to experience human life, able to call men brothers. Look at verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, set apart as holy, all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. It's significant. We could pass over this as though it's no big deal, but it is a big deal. Again, there's no other religion like it. It's an inconceivable idea. This idea of, of learning what it's like, experiencing it. The New York Times just did a, a story on a woman who threw a tantrum in a Chipotle restaurant. After the second try of having her burrito bowl made in a certain way, she was frustrated and angry. There was a big line. They were short on staff. And what did she do with it? She took this and launched it back at the person who made it. The person who made it tells a story of just feeling sour cream oozing down her face. The judge 
sentenced this woman to two months of working in a fast food restaurant. Isn't that great? It's like the, the judge in his wisdom said, you need to know what this is like. There's value in experience. Look at verse 17 of Hebrews 2. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And notice the why. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins. Merciful and faithful, he, he understands. Again, we can argue that, that, that his divinity could have let him experience that without having done it or whatever because he's God. Yet for our sakes, he proved that he understands. Isn't that wonderful? He chose to experience it. And then to, to make propitiation for our sins, uh, the, the turning away of anger by offering of a gift. There's an appeasing happening with it, propitiation. The act of gaining or regaining favor or goodwill. This idea was used by the pagans in antiquity for they thought of their gods as these unpredictable beings liable to become angry with their worshipers for, for any reason. So when disaster struck, it was often thought that God was angry, therefore he was punishing his worshipers. So the solution was to offer a sacrifice as quickly as possible. A well-chosen offering would appease their, their God and, and put him in a good mood. This was propitiation. It, it's meeting a demand. Some have struggled with this idea of God becoming angry, and yet the idea of the wrath of God is found throughout Scripture. Again, it's that standard coming in here when it should be here. The idea that God cannot be angry is not found in the New Testament or the Old Testament. He became like them in every respect. This is the humanity of Jesus. Did you ever stop and realize that, that Jesus was seven years old for a year? That, that he knew the pain of a skinned knee or what it was like to lose a tooth? The ache of a pulled muscle or an ankle sprain? He knew what it was like to struggle. He was able to be tempted. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God. To model life for us, to be our example. One of the most challenging messages I ever heard was uh, by Dan Spader, and he was, he was talking about Jesus and whether or not he tapped into his deity to live out his humanity. And I, I love the, 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 the whole message. It was challenging. 
And Jesus takes on flesh so that he could experience and model life for us. To be our example, look at Hebrews 4, 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He has been through it. He's able to sympathize. I want you to take comfort in that. You don't have a God who doesn't understand. He's able to sympathize. He's, He's been through it. He's been here. I'm so glad that's true. Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the, high, the apostle and high priest of our confession. That's Hebrews 3. Some of you might remember the WWJD craze. Remember that? What would Jesus do? But I want you to think about what we're being taught here in Scripture. This is way more objective than what we might realize. Maybe the, the first question to answer is, what did Jesus do? And then we know what Jesus would do because we saw what he did, because he experienced life. What did Jesus do? He modeled life for us. He set the example. Peter writes, and it's found in 1 Peter 2, For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow his steps. He showed the way. God takes on flesh to just show us how to do this crazy thing called life and how to do it right. John writes in his first epistle, uh, uh, 1 John 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we may know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says who he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And little children, babies in the faith, don't sin. If anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father. That's Jesus, the righteous. I love that. He is the propitiation. Remember, he is the appeasement. Don't claim Christ and live in sin. Tough words, but, but we remember they follow uh, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. How wonderful that we have a God who will forgive us when we confess our sins. He's faithful and just. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk 
in the same way in which he walked. Follow his example. This is not just a neat idea. Jesus is saying, listen, I've shown you how to live. That's discipleship. Remember, Paul had said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He's saying, if you need to look at my example, that's fine, because I'm looking at the example of Christ. We've got to follow his example. Because he lived it. He showed us. I, I don't know what your personality is like. I, I, I do better when I have an example to follow. I, I, I'm a show-me kind of person, right? That's how, how I am. Growing up, my, my father always had a manual transmission car. And I was always mesmerized by that. And even as a little kid, I'd sit in the back seat and I'd watch the motion. I'd watch the clutch go in and the gas let up and, and the shift happen. And I would listen to the view and I was just aware of this. And then later on, I learned to, to go into to church with him early. And, he, and I'd say, I'm going to listen to the radio in the car. And he would go in and I'd be driving his stick shift car around the parking lot. I watched him do it, and, and I was able to teach myself because I had somebody set an example for me. I watched my brother, my brothers tear, his, tear my dad's car apart when, they, when he wasn't looking just to see how it worked. Learned by, by watching, I had an example. I've seen it done. I discovered most of those things that it was harder than it looked. People that know what they're doing make it look easy, right? And we can look at our life this way and say, yeah, Jesus sets an example for us and models it for us, but then to actually do it is a little tougher, isn't it? But thank God that he gave his son to to show us the way, to give us an example, to give us a shot at it, but then to offer a way of forgiveness when we fail. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. I used to watch and listen to my father as he would make daily decisions and use scripture and prayer in doing that. I'm so grateful for that model. It's a model that has served me so well to this day. Someone who's showing the way, extending guidance. And even someone who, who in that case, models what it looks like to make a mistake and then to recover from that, go back and and to confess that or or to take a new approach. You see, the Gospels are so wonderful because they define how Jesus lived. We can understand better what Jesus would do by seeing what he did do. How he himself valued prayer. We just talked about that in Luke. How he resisted temptation using Scripture. How many many of us need to get that in our minds? That we've got to fill our minds with Scripture so that when temptation arises, we know how to take truth to defeat a lie. But we've got to fill our minds with truth. That's why Scripture is so important to us. So that when we hear a lie, we can know it. Because that's what Jesus did. He embraced truth. Think about that time of temptation. Satan came out at him with stuff that sounded like Scripture, and he just twisted the meaning, didn't he? How, how tricky is that? We need to know what it means. 
Jesus taught us how to think long-term and not just think about the, the temporal, what, what's right in that moment, in that, in that very time, in that moment. Think beyond it. How is this going to turn out? What are the long-term effects? What are the, how am I thinking eternally about this? We understand from Scripture the importance of, of taking our stray thoughts captive and doing it as quickly as possible, and we take them captive by embracing truth. Jesus prayed to choose his disciples. Key decisions, prayer. We see how Jesus dealt with his critics. How at some points he just chose to remain silent. Because we know also from Scripture, sometimes you just can't rebuke or correct a mocker. How Jesus turned traps into teaching moments. How he spoke in parables just to make it a little bit easier for us to understand. How Jesus lived, but also how he died. True to the mission all the way to and through the cross. He did the will of the Father. And he who sent me is with me, he said. And he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I always do what pleases him, John 8. The Son became man to experience and model life for us so he can help us. That's good news, folks. We need help. I, I hope you're not proud enough to think you don't need help to live this life well. I know we've all been in situations where someone who really doesn't or cannot understand is trying to comfort or encourage or guide you. But it's not that way with Jesus. Verse 18 of Hebrews 2, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He experienced life. He is our model. Finally, let me close. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here's our part. Let us then... With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's your part. Draw near with confidence. To approach the throne of grace with confidence, we can do that because we are his children by faith in what he did. What's his part? To extend mercy and offer grace and help us in our time of need. How cool is that? I hope this truth is soothing to your soul this morning. Jesus took on flesh to experience and model life for us so he can help us. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we just give you thanks for the truth of Scripture. And Father, we thank you that though we struggle through this life in so many respects, we fall short of your standard we thank you for the truth that if we confess, you are faithful and just to forgive. And Father, we thank you that we can approach you and we can be your children through Jesus.
the one who took on flesh to show us the way, the way to have a relationship with you and how to live. And Father, it's in his name we give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.